Do you want to go down to a 40-hour week without losing revenue? If you're ready to let go of all the extra hours, the stress, the overwhelm, and the clients who hijack your time, consider my signature program, Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind. In it, we'll get your accounting practice under control. We'll fix your pricing problems. I'll show you ways to price so you stop giving away the farm so you bring in more revenue for the work you're already doing. I'll help you disengage the clients who are good people but are holding your business back and slowing you down. I'll help you package up your services and design them so they're easy for your clients to understand and choose from while helping you simplify and standardize what you sell. And we'll focus on making your messaging more interesting and compelling so you attract more of the kinds of clients you want to work with and break out of the hodgepodge of referrals trap. We get your prices up, we get your workload down. We standardize, we simplify, we streamline. And we do this at a pace that feels doable, where you feel confident in every choice you make. Prices up, workload down. Registration is open now. We start Tuesday, May 7th. Come with us. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to find out more. What we call controller services is, is, is basically the frequency. So we're meeting with a client twice a month, going over their historical stuff, but really focusing on the future. And then the CFO side, which is what we call, is kind of the unlimited, where they're meeting with us you know, four to six times a month. And we're, we're really going over high strategy. We're part of their leadership weekly meetings. Welcome to the Business Strategy for CPS podcast, where I help you work less and make more. My name is Geraldine Carter. Many CPAs work until they're done. And they either hand their firm down to their offspring or they sell it or turn off the lights and close the door. Some miss an opportunity to be more strategic about what they choose to build with an eye toward future value creation. Here today to talk with me about this is my guest, Jody Grunden. Jody, welcome back to the show. Yeah, thanks, Geraldine, for having me back. So for listeners who haven't heard of you or Summit CPA and what's been going on over there, give us a quick high-level update on what you've been up to. Uh, so started it back in 2002, bootstrapped it, had no money, had to figure out how to make uh, make things work, and I wanted to do things differently. And so I had the idea of changing the way that people thought about accounting. And bold, big, bold statement, right? And But uh, I wanted to do things a lot differently because I'd been in public accounting before, didn't like it, felt like I was just working so much during tax season. It just wasn't really what I wanted to do. Huge family person, love hockey with my kids and really wanted to be part of their part of them as they grew up. And I knew that it was going to be really tough being that and and uh, really just, you know, being away for, for, for so long during tax season. And so when, when I started it, I, I, before that, I also went to the corporate world and really didn't like that either. So it was kind of boring. It was it was like Groundhog Day over and over and over again. So, you know, what was I going to do? I, I, I didn't like I went to school to be an accountant, didn't like public accounting, didn't like corporate. And so I thought, well. The entrepreneur part of me said, hey, well, let's just start a business and let's just make an accounting firm, but let's do things differently. And so we uh, we did it differently. We started with, instead of wearing suits and ties like they did back in 2002, we wore, ca- wore khakis and golf shirts and, you know, you know, just basically more of a relaxed environment. We felt clients like that a lot better than, than the suits and ties. We always made fun of them in the corporate world anyways. The suits and ties are coming in for an audit or whatever. And um, I wanted to change the, um, the 40-hour work week. I wanted to make it more of a 40-hour work week versus a, an 80-hour busy season work week. Wanted to change the hourly look because uh, that wasn't something that I felt was 
something I wanted to do. So I wanted to go, I wanted to look more towards a flat fee look. So I changed the, you know, I basically went from a, took a tax practice, a small tax practice that we created in the first two years and made that into a flat fee tax practice. So we were getting payments up front, actually getting payments in November before we even started the tax returns and uh, in January to kind of solve our cash crunch issues that we had there. And clients loved it, worked out really well. We um, kind of gradually moved that on to what we call virtual CFO services. And we started that in 04 um, when it really wasn't even a concept then. And we thought, well, hey, let's meet with clients on a regular monthly basis at the time. And let's not just talk financials, but let's talk, you know, the future. You know, hey, what's happening down the road? Um, you know, what, 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 you know, all the different things that they could do now to impact cash and, and you know, six months from now, seven months from now. You know, what's their tax position going to be like? Um, in April and we're talking here, we're talking in June, you know, the, the, you know, clients never really had that kind of, kind of look before we thought, Hey, this would be kind of great to give it to them. I know all, all the big corporations have that, you know, they got teams of us, but you know, the small client, I'd say the million dollar client, the, the $5 million client, even maybe even above and below that really didn't have that. And so we thought, Hey, this would be a great role to fill. Uh, problem was that nobody heard about it because it was virtual. You know, we're, we're meeting with clients. We called it virtual CFO services. And we're meeting with clients that were kind of in the area that we could actually go to or they could come to the office. You know, it, was, it wasn't truly virtual at that point. And it wasn't really until I'd say the internet really started picking up uh, towards, uh, I don't know the exact year, but probably 2009, 2010, when we could actually do video conferences like this. And then it started getting some traction. You know, we started picking up, you know, four clients a year. We thought that was awesome. Um, fortunately, we couldn't scale it. And so uh, we had to look for a way to scale it. So my partner and I are trying to figure figure things out. And so we, we got the opportunity to actually work with a creative agency, which is a digital agency that does web design, web development. That was actually not in Indiana. That's where we're located at at the time. And we thought, hey, this would be a great opportunity to, to test this new concept out with a company that's not in our area. And it worked out really well. Um, so well that we thought, hey, this could be replicatable. We can actually do this if we can figure out how to market it. And it just happened that that uh, agency was a um, fully remote company. So they'd never, they had any brick, they'd never been brick and mortar. They were one of the top 25 initial companies ever to go fully remote. Um, so it, it was, it was kind of cool really seeing how they did things, right? And we thought, you know, hey, you know, we're doing this virtual concept and then also, why can't we be remote too? You know, wouldn't that kind of help us, you know, get kind of a, a national you know, national footprint? And so we we dove into the remote, uh, you know, fully remote thing back in 2013-ish. Uh, we tiptoed in and eventually we were fully remote or fully distributed in 2015. And what I mean by fully distributed is that we didn't have an office. So it's not like we could come into the office to meet with a client. We couldn't, we didn't have that capability anymore. And actually the team... Now it wasn't just in Fort Wayne, Indiana. The team was spread throughout the world, you know. And we had we had folks that were in India, folks that were in the Philippines, Canada. We had Mexico. You know, they're all over the place, uh, from coast to coast, east coast to west. Okay, hold on, I got to jump in. Yeah, because <laughs> we've got thirty minutes, and I want to get to the good stuff. Yeah, go from like 2015 to 2022 in like the next minute. So 2015 came around. We we grew to about I would say. 
2015, we were probably four, four million-ish or so, and really kind of really focusing on the creative agency space, really kind of focusing on a niche market, and it really kind of blew up our, our sales. We're doubling sales every three years. And fast forward to 2022, just recently, we got to a point where we we're right there at $10 million in revenue, and we were being approached by all different kinds of uh, firms from the, the, you know, the top 20 firms to, you know, all over the place, uh, private equity, you know, everybody was knocking on our door and we, we, we pushed away a lot. It was one of those things that we just didn't have any interest in doing it. Uh, we were going so fast. We were very profitable, you know, 25% bottom line, you know, we were making hand over fist, you know, money, clients loved it. Growth was great. Employees loved it. You know, everything was going well. And then a, a company out of uh, Missouri, St. Louis, Missouri, knocked on our door. Uh, Anders, uh, CPA and advisors out of Missouri, their top 100 firm. And uh, they knocked on our door and said, you know, hey, we'd, we'd love for you to be part of our company, you know, our CPA firm. And again, having worked in a CPA firm before was one of those things I didn't really want to go back and do that again. That's just, it, I, I ran away from it. And as a matter of fact, majority of my team, like I'd say 99% of our team ran away from CPA firms. They didn't want to work the 40, they, they only want, they didn't want to work the, you know, 80 hour work weeks. They didn't want a busy season. They, they didn't want that hourly bill requirement. They didn't want everything that, you know, that uh, was in a traditional CPA firm. And so I, we, we had to really kind of vet it out and you know, determine, Hey, is this firm different than the rest? They say they're different, you know. Are they truly different? And we found out that uh, that they were very open-minded, very progressive, and it, it was one of those things. When we went into the agreement. We we weren't really serious about it in October. This it happened. It started basically a year ago uh, last year, um, year from you know, a year ago, from, you know, basically last October, and. We, we weren't really serious about doing it because we thought, well, why would they ever want to do this? You know, what would be their benefit? And, um, you know, Adam and I are looking at each other, my partner, we're looking at each other and saying, you know, hey, we, we were challenged by a PE firm saying, you know, hey, because we told them how we're doubling our size every three years. And they came to us and say, yeah, we're, we're going to be a $20 million firm in, in three years. And the PE firm said, that's great. But could you be a $50 million firm? And it was like one of those things like, $50 million firm, don't you get it? We're doubling our size. We're growing very profitably. You know, $50 million firm was like, then we started to think about it and say, yeah, we probably could, but we'd have to have the right partner. And just happened that Anders popped in and, and boom, the right partner. You know, a partner that was uh, very interested in keeping our model together, didn't want to absorb us into their into their firm. They wanted us to be a separate entity, which was a, a huge requirement because we, we have a great marketing team. We've got a great, you know, processes. Everything is completely different from the way that we pay our people. You know, even we pay out a base pay and a variable comp, you know, so that, you know, somebody that's managing a $600,000 book of business is getting paid the same as the next person that's managing a $600,000 book of business. If they're no matter how much, you know, experience they might have, you know, so we, we, we took out all the biases out of everything. You know, we, we created that, 40 hour work week year round without the busy season, which is really important. You know, our team works fully remote throughout the, you know, so there's a lot of different things that, you know, really that was so different than a traditional accounting firm. And in going through it, we had to kind of figure out, you know, Hey, what, what they, what, what, you know, what, what, what's going to work here and what's not. And, and I had, I had basically had, uh, you know, five things that they had to happen. You know, the first thing is I wanted to make sure that they were taking care of our team in all aspects. So no change in culture at all, no change in their hour requirements, no change in their pay structure, no change in any of that. Uh, um, and they said, yeah, no problem. Let's do that. And then I was like, well, then I want to operate as an independent unit. I don't want to be part of a, uh, you know, I don't want to be part of, and, you know, I want my marketing, you know, intact. I want my HR intact. I want everything intact. And they're like, 
yep, we can do that as well too. I'm like, okay. And then it's like, well, I, I want a national brand because people, when people look out, they, they, they know who Summit CPA Group is, you know, from East Coast to West Coast. You know, they're, they search us on Google and they'll find us like right away. And, you know, and so we're all over the place. All of our clients are all over the place. Uh, we're not, you know, we don't have hardly any clients, I guess, you know, in Indiana, actually. And uh, the, uh, they said, yep, we, we, can, we can work on that. And right now we're working on a branding company to make sure that, uh, you know, that stays intact. And then it was like, well, I need a seat at the table as well. So Adam and I need to be equity, equity partners in the, in the firm if we're going to do that. Because uh, I want to make sure that if decisions are made, we are part of the decision making. I didn't want to just come in and, and be a, a manager or something you know, below equity partner level. And they said, yep, we can definitely do that too. And it was like they're checking all these boxes off. And then the last one I said, well, this is going to definitely you know, kill the deal. And I said, I want it, want it to be an incentive, incentive buyout. And they're like, what do you mean by that? And it's like, well, I, I don't want it to be where you pay me a bunch of money today and then um, I, you know, I move off in the sunset or I don't want to be where you pay me a bunch of money today and you, then you pay me an incentive based on the next couple of years. You know, and I said, what I want is I really want to hit that $50 million mark. I want to go from 10 million to 50 million, which excited them as well. I go, but I want, I want to make sure that, you know, the incentive is based on us hitting that goal. You know, so what, what we wanted, I, I said, you know, what, what I'd like is I'd like 60% of the deal up front paid over the next five years. And so I thought that was very fair. It wasn't, they didn't have to come up with a big chunk of money right away based on the value today. And then based on the value in five years, I want the other 40% paid out over the next five years or seven years um, based on the value year five. And if we hit that $50 million mark, you know, everybody can do the math, you know, it, it, the 40% is going to be significantly more than the, the 60% we got up front which would basically accomplish everything that we had, you know, right. If I was, if it was just Adam and I, we would have made a roughly the same amount of money, you know, going through the, through that process and then had to sell it, um, you know, a bigger company at that point. Um, and so it gave, gave me a way to, you know, kind of, you know, merge into another company, give myself a, a, a buyout opportunity, but really incentivize both of us to, to continue on and work as hard as we can to make sure that uh, that end goal happens. And so they checked all the boxes off, which was great. And uh, that's that's uh, what started the deal. It took us about six months to close. So it was a very, very uh, quick close. In uh, April of uh, last year, we uh, we merged and became uh, some CPA group and division of Anders. Awesome. I love it. So it sounds like you were not actively even thinking about selling your firm two years ago. You were pushing prospects away. Yeah, we weren't thinking about selling it at all. <laughs> Was it just that Anders came to you with something that you, like it kept, like you say, checking the boxes and you were like, I, I can't say no to this. It's not like you were thinking to yourself in the background, well, you know, maybe I'm headed into pre-retirement and maybe we should start thinking about putting ourselves in position to sell. And you, okay, for for listeners to the podcast, you're shaking your head. Yeah, no, it wasn't that at all. It was one of those things that I, we truly were not interested. You know, we, we, we told everybody we'd always listen and we listened to several CPA firms and when they came and we listened to, you know, PE firms when they, when they came knocking too. So we listened to everybody, but it was one of those things that we were just kind of going through the motions to see down the road, you know, five to 10 years from now, when we do sell, you know, what should we expect? You know, that, that was kind of the, that was kind of what we were thinking. And there, there was a couple of them that were very, you know, very exciting. It's like, wow, this seems like this could be a good, good one, but they didn't check all the boxes. And it was like, well, do we, do we want to be a very small fish in a huge pond or do we want to be a big fish in, in, in a smaller pond? And it was, it came down to the fact that, you know, we wanted to have more of a, a voice 
uh, versus being just a, absorbed by a giant uh, CPA firm. And so that that's what really kind of got us thinking and really kind of motivated us. But it wasn't really until, you know, so we, we, we talked, we talked in, you know, back in October of last year and, you know, we talked all the way through, they came out and visited us and back and forth. And it was, it was one of those deals where like, you know, Hey, we've got a solid director team. You know, if any of those folks say no, then it, it's a no. And so we met out in, out in St. Louis, you know, with the director team and, and our two uh, uh, CFO leads. And they all came back and said, Hey, this sounds great. Uh, I think this would be a great opportunity. They, you know, the, the, the culture was very similar. Um, they, they were progressive in, in the way that they wanted to make changes. They wanted to do things a little differently. They weren't hundred percent there yet, but uh, they, they're working towards that. And they thought this would be a, a, a nice opportunity. And so it wasn't until they actually said yes, that I was like, okay, well that's, I guess everybody's on board on this. <laughs> and then, and then we, uh, you know, a couple months later, we, we inked the deal. So it, it was not, we were not planning on selling at all. I, I even thought, you know, at one point I thought, you know what, we're doing so well, you know, maybe I'll just be like a board member when I retire in 10 years or whatever, <laughs> you know, why not? You know, I could, you know, get, make some money as a board member and, and build the, build the company even bigger. Cause at that time we'd be really, really big. And, and so, yeah, so it was just one of those things that I wasn't looking for. it. Uh, we weren't looking for it at all. It just kind of happened and, and they were the right fit. So what was the value in looking from looking through Anders' eyes? What do they look and I mean, obviously you can look at some at CPA and be like, that's really valuable. But mm-hmm. what was it that they were seeing that made them go, yep, we want this deal to happen? Was it the product mix? Was it the revenue? Was it the staff? Was it the processes? What was it that really appealed to them most? I think or was it was it just like, you and Adam and like everybody loves you? It was definitely me. It's, yeah, it's undeniable. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, they just wanted me. No, it wasn't. It wasn't that. I, I, you know, it, it, speaking for them, of course, you know, they, they may have a different opinion. But if I'm if I'm seeing through their eyes, I, I think what they like to see is they like to see, wow, we're, we're in a different world now after COVID. You know, people are starting to work remote and they're trying to figure that out. Here's a company that's been doing it for 10 years. You know, why not like, um, you know, kind of feed off of them, bring them in and they can kind of help us maybe through this transition. Maybe not everybody's going to be remote, but how, how do we, how does a hybrid type environment? Also, you know, they, they looked at and, and saw that, the, you know, we're providing a service that's very in high demand right now. The fastest growing service um, in, in all of accounting, which is the, uh, you know, the CAS 1.0, they call it client accounting services or client advisory services. And we're, we do CAS 1.0 and CAS 2.0, where we actually do the, you know, we provide the strategic, you know, which not, not a lot of folks provide that level of service. So they're like, well, this would be great because, you know, these guys are leading in this area as well. Um, and they could really kind of help things grow. And, and with our, with our model, the, the other thing they looked at is, you know, are they doing this profitably? Because, you know, a lot of folks are trying to do it and they're maybe not as profitable as what they, what they can be. And yeah. it just happened that yet yeah, we were, you know, we were, you know, had a solid bottom line, like I said, 20 to 25% bottom line. Uh, Adam and I were making significant salaries, you know, so everything was, was, was showing them, Hey, this is a, a very strong company. The growth was huge and it, it really kind of fit into the, what they're looking for, you know, a division that could really kind of blow this up. You know, basically their goal is, is that within, within the next five years, they want the virtual CFO division, which is now $10 million in revenue. Now it's, it's going to be about the next year will be about a $14 million in revenue firm. They want that to be $50 million in revenue 
which would be their biggest division out of all all of the, all their divisions at that point, even exceeding tax and audit. And uh, so that's that's where they saw the growth in the in the in the in the thing. And with with the platform we provided, it, it seemed like a no brainer for them. Uh, is how I would look at it. if I if I were speaking on their behalf, that's what I would say. Cool. I want to get into the nitty gritty just a little bit for listeners. So, if things haven't changed since the last time we talked, your primary services are fractional. CFO, fractional controller, and fractional transactional, if you will. And last time we talked, I think your makeup was 40-40-20 from the top down, right? Yeah. 40% in fractional CFO, 40% fractional controller, 20 in transaction. Is that more or less the same? Yeah, I, I would say it's probably more towards now. It's probably 45, 45, and 10. 10. Uh, we Transactional services, what we call transactional is what a typical accountant would perform, like a write-up service where you meet with the client, go over historical stuff. What we call controller services is, is, is it basically the frequency. So we're meeting with the client twice a month, going over their um, historical stuff, but really focusing on the future. And then the CFO side, which is what we call, it's kind of the unlimited, where you know they uh, they can, they're meeting with us you know four to six times a month, and we're, we're really going over high strategy. We're part of their leadership team meetings, monthly meet or weekly meetings. So it's a weekly touch versus a monthly touch, and so those are the kind of the differences between that. And it seems like you know it, it's really starting to get tilted the uh, to the CFO side, where it was fifty fifty controller. I think it's moving more towards that CFO side based on recent calls. Yeah, how do the margins compare? Where are the margins highest in that? product mix are they highest at fractional cfo or in the middle at controller or in the they're, they're identical they're identical across all three identical across all three yep which is kind of surprising there we, we have a 75 percent uh, profit margin on each one of those clients so it, it, it varies probably one or two percent you know either way but in any particular year it's going to be about the same so 75 percent is what we try to get and that's the direct costs that are involved in there which is the the, the direct time that people are putting towards you know that which gives us about a 50% gross profit margin overall company-wide. So what do you think, let's talk about multiple at sale time. Can you talk about the multiple that you sold at and what drove, what you think drove that multiple? Because it's higher than typical in the space. So we received a multiple of five times operating income. So that that's before owner comp. So that's before Adam and I's salary. And we're gener- we, we were right, we were probably close to 25 to 30%. Um, at that time. So it was a multiple based on that. So five times paid over five years. And then... So hold on for just a second, because some people are not going to be able to translate that lickety split to how multiples uh, are commonly talked about, which is either off of top line revenue or off of EBITDA. Yep. So can you give us a sense where that lands? I think for most listeners, they're probably used to hearing about multiples relative to top line revenue. Yeah. So what is that like more or less compared to? Is it like two or eight or what? Yeah. So a typical accounting firm would be around one times multiple, maybe one, if they're really, really solid, maybe 1.1, 1. 1, you know, somewhere in that, in that ballpark. And so this equated to about a two times multiple based on the very first one, maybe a little bit, a little bit more than the two times multiple. The uh, the second part of the buyout, if we hit our hit our numbers, the overall deal would be closer to a four times multiple uh, of, uh, of revenue. So it it the overall deal could be you know it could be a two times multiple, and that's what it might end up being. I doubt it. But if, if we grow in the way we've been growing, it'll be closer to a four times revenue multiple. Okay, great. That's really helpful just to kind of pin that off of what you, um, what I think listeners are used to relating it to. So carry on about what you think drove the the multiple or what you think will be driving the multiple. Yeah, what's driving the multiple is the fact that uh, it's got high growth. So high growth, 
and high profit. Those are the two big things that, that companies look for. Um, if it has no profit or low profit, the multiples will be a lot lower. If it has low growth, obviously the, the multiples will be lower. So the fact that that we have growth that's doubling our size every three years, so 33% or above every year over year, we've been doing it since 2010 that way, with a very nice margin where our, our profit margin is around 20% or so. The, the way that we have it, it's going to it'll plateau about 35 to 40% by year five because we don't have really any uh, carrying costs on the overhead because uh, everything is really kind of built into the uh, the top line revenue. The only, only carrying cost we have in overhead is marketing expense. We spend about uh, 7% a year on marketing expense, which is a lot higher than majority of accounting firms do. And then we have team retreats, which is significantly too, where we'll spend about a half a million dollars uh, this year on team retreats with a, what, I have a 70 person firm. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. And do you consider what you have to be subscription? A hundred percent. Yeah. So it's a hundred percent subscription based. We've been subscription since 2004, uh, 2007. And w w what I mean by subscription is important to understand what that means. It's not just simply taking your fees and dividing it by 12 or 52 or whatever. Um, subscription based to me means First of all, we are we are collecting money on every Monday. So Monday is my favorite day, right? So we collect, uh, we ACH their account every single Monday. We don't build, we don't send invoices out. We don't do anything like that. But what the, where the subscription part comes on is is the values in our VCFO service, where you know if they need a you know profit sharing plan, if they need us to help with their you know their phantom stock options, if they need us to help with banking relationships, get a credit line, anything like that, we don't charge extra for that kind of stuff. That's all part of our CFO service. And so that's where the subscription comes in. So it's it's more of a strategy than a billing mechanism. Um, but the, kind, the nice thing, it does have a really nice billing mechanism, similar to like a Netflix would have. And do you think that your clients think that they are subscribed to their accountant or CPA firm? Yeah, oh, for sure. And the reason being is because there's no long-term contract. So Come on. Yeah. Do you think if I went to one of your clients that I said, hey, are you subscribed to Summit CPA? They would say yes? I think so. Yeah, I think so. No way. Yeah. All right. The reason being is there's no contract, right? So the contract that we have an SOW and a, an M MSA, but they can quit anytime they want. So they can quit weekly because it's a weekly deal. So if they're five weeks into the deal and they're like, hey, this isn't what we thought, they can just quit. There's no exit clause per se. If they, if they, you know, every, you know, if they want to quit nine months in the deal, they can. Our clients stick with us for about four and a half, five years. Uh, so they stick with us for a long time. Uh, and unless we get them to a point where they're selling and, you know, that sort of thing, but we don't get, uh, you know, it's a little different because our, our retention rate's 94% you know, year over year. This year is the only year that we've had in the past by three years that we didn't meet that 94 percentile and we're closer to 88%. And the reason being is because we had clients uh, that were sold, you know, we got them to the end line and we lost quite a few clients this year, probably about 10 of them that actually we helped them get to their next level, you know, we helped them sell and, and, uh, and move on. So it was, uh, so that's a good, that's a good reason. So, you know, for, for us, it kind of stinks. You lose a client, but you lose a great friend and that's, uh, that's, you know, that's pretty much more important. So do you guys think in terms of customer acquisition costs and customer lifetime value Yep. and churn and all of that? Churn. Yep. The whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, so we, we, we base everything, and, and that's how we do our forecasting, too. So when we're forecasting, we don't base it on utilization, average bill rate, none of that. So our forecasting is based on average average size of our client, frequency of pickup, and then uh, 
and then, and that's just kind of spread throughout the year. So like this year, our average clients uh, real close to $90,000 a year. And so we'll pick, you know, that's going to be our average client size. And then we, we think we're going to pick up between uh, probably four and a half to five clients a month. And so then that, that's how we, that's how we base our scale on. And then we have uh 6% churn built into it. You know, that's, again, that's, you know, it's basically a subscription model. That's, that's how that's how we do it. And marketing is always we want to make sure our acquisition costs is, you know, is what well, well within, you know, the uh, the lifetime value of the client. So yeah, it, it's run similar to a subscription base. Okay. So I want to get just a tiny bit into the weeds here. Just drop down for half a second. So I've, I don't know if you've gotten your hot little hands on a copy of Ron Baker's new book, Time's Up. Yep. Awesome. Ron personally gave it to me at the DCPA. <laughs> oh, excellent. Good. I hope it has a lovely message inside the front flap. So, <laughs> so of course, if you've read the intro, Blake Oliver goes on to talk about how, you know, accounting, whatever doesn't take into account customer lifetime uh, value and customer acquisition costs. So what software do you guys use? Because like QuickBooks doesn't do this and all the others. They just don't think this way. It's not baked into the software and it's not baked into the thinking. So just to dip into this detail for half a minute, what software do you guys use that act like, what software does an accounting firm use to model out this kind of stuff? Yeah, you're, you're not gonna like it, but we have our internal database is what we actually bring everything into. So we bring everything in, into an internal database and then we push it up to reach reporting, which has all our formulas baked into it. So reach reportings are dashboarding uh, software that we've been using, you know, for a long time. And so it just kind of folds right into that automatically for us. You know, one, one of the things that if you, if you read Time's Up by Ron Baker, he talks about, and he references us in his, in, when, when, when he's actually uh, doing a speaking, I've heard him speak three times now. And uh, just on this book and on this topic, his model is again, a hundred percent, hundred percent subscription base where there's no nothing to do with profits, hours, and that sort of thing. And 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 I say we subscribe to ninety percent of that. The, the difference is, is that we allocate the accounting stuff. So we, we do, you know, we're 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 on board hundred percent at the CFO level, the strategy level, that sort of thing. But when it comes to the accounting, the cast 1.0 stuff, we do a la carte that. Um, and I don't know, I don't know if it makes a big, you know, any any mentions that too, but you know, so it, it's kind of a hybrid of what, what Ron talks about. Why do you allocate that stuff? Why not just flat rate it? Yeah, it's a great question. The reason being is because um, when we start, we first started doing it, we did exactly what Ron, what Ron did back in 2007. And we were charging like 1500 bucks, it was all inclusive. And then, and we thought everybody would just pick us to have us do everything. And then they started doing, they started doing that. Then we had people that said, you know what, we don't want that $1,500 you know, week deal. We want, we, we just want you to do this little portion of it. And we're like, oh, well, we can do that little portion. But why turn that down? You know, that type of thing, highly profitable, you know, very engaged. We thought, so we can't, but they didn't want to pay the $1,500 a week. They wanted to pay something different. So we thought, you know, hey, everybody wants something a little different. And with the CFO and stuff like that, we could actually categorize historical. We could have, you know, future looking. We could have, you know, anything goes. But on the accounting side, you know, maybe maybe they just want us to do their payables, or maybe they just want us to do bank recs. They don't want us to touch their payables because they've got a great team that does that. They don't want us to touch receivables because they got a great team that does that. But they, maybe they want somebody to oversee it. You know, so there's different different things that we thought. Well, hey, we can a la carte these things and customize it for anybody. And so that's what we decided to do is kind of break out the accounting features 
you know, into big lump sums and, and customize it again, not based on hours or anything like that, but based on, you know, the most important thing. Like we might take the payables and say, that's going to be $350 a week and at scales based on how big you are. And we might take, you know, not based on really anything outside of what we feel would be, you know, a part of a, you know, what we're placing, we're placing part of a bookkeeper. How much does a bookkeeper cost? You know, a quarter of a bookkeeper. And then, then we can kind of build into the, what the cost is. And so that, that'd be probably the biggest difference there is that we, we allocate things for the, you know, for the wants and needs of the people. And, and, and you know, our, our prices, you know, change a lot. I mean, I guess from client to client, you know, you might, might be a client of ours. You might be, we might be charging you $50,000. You might be a client that we're charging, you know, $150,000. And it's because that you pick different things in the a la carte or you scale differently where you're a bigger client versus a smaller client. And so, you know, we've, we've got that built into our pricing model. Talk a little bit about niching. Because I know that you focus on creatives. How has that changed over time? Have you done kind of the funnel niche where you just narrow and narrow and narrow and narrow and narrow? Or did you more do funnel uh, hourglass niche where you narrow, 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 and then like dial in your systems and then spread back out, back out, back out? And like, why did you make those choices? And what have you found to work well? Yeah, so when we started niching was back in 2013, uh, where we um, started thinking, hey, the creative agency space is the space we want to be in. And what does that mean? That's the web design, web development, the marketing agencies, you know, those those folks right there, the SEO, SEM companies. Uh, so we didn't narrow it down to just, you know, SEO, SEM companies. We kept the, 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 the net broader, but within that industry itself. And uh, the reason being is that it was just, it was easy for me. I felt connected to those folks. I did our website forever. Um, you know, probably if I went back to college, that's probably what I would have went into. You know, it was one of those one of those things I really resonated with the folks on the team. They were open to sharing, very open to concepts that we put in play. And, and their model was very similar to a CPA firm. They use average bill rate, utilization. So I, I inherently knew all of their metrics before even diving into it. So it was, it was a very easy transition for me. Uh, might not be an easy transition for you or anybody else, but it was it was one for me, and and so we really focused our marketing on that niche. Now, what does that mean? It's it means that all of our you know we don't do emails or anything like that, but all of our content marketing was fo- focused on the niche, and so we really you know we, we you know hey here's here's tax planning for creative agencies, you know that's that's the kind of the topics that we really pushed out there. Here are the metrics creative agencies need to use to be profitable, you know all those type of uh, marketing that we pushed out there through you know video and content marketing and you know you, you name it and all the different social media networks. Um, it really blew that up to where that's really accelerated our growth. So the the fact that we were remote was one thing that accelerated growth because now we could go anywhere, hire anywhere. And then the other thing was that we, we focus on that niche, which that niche became about 60% of our overall client base. Now, the other 40% are coming to us and, and it, they've got to be a good fit. You know, it's got to be within something that we feel that we can manage well, like construction or you know, it, it could be really anything, doctors, whatever. Um, but it, you know, it had to be it had to be something that wasn't going to take a ton of time or a ton of research for our team to really come up to speed. And so, as we hired new CFOs all from all different industries, it was like, wow, we've got somebody that's in the trucking industry. That's great. So now we can kind of give trucking clients to that individual, and, and to the point to where we're now, we're, we're actually going to broaden our scope and we're going to attack different niches. And so we're we're looking at the the logistics and transportation transportation niche where we're we've got folks in that niche the CFOs in that niche that we're really starting to focus our marketing towards that niche uh, law niche and you know just a few others um, and we're going to see how that goes if we can get really three solid 
uh, niches that we can you know really look at. And then if that if that goes as well as we think to accelerate growth, then we'll add additional uh, niches as we go. So we're trying to use what we what we've done and proven that works in the creative agency space and move that to other niches and see if we can uh, ramp it up in, in those niches and, uh, and accelerate growth. More like hourglass and then just keep bolting on and yep. keep replicating the process down the line. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So for high level thinkers who own CPA firms, who have accounting practices, who are forward looking, know that things need to change, want to change, are willing to change. What do you think is the opportunity that they might not be aware that they're not seeing? Oh, I, I think, well, the opportunity, I think there's a, a great opportunity to get rid of existing clients that are preventing you from making those changes, right? And so you've got all these legacy clients, and I was guilty of as well, um, where, you know, you just start getting connected to them. You know, you know they've been, you've been doing their taxes forever, and, you, you know, you, you don't want to let them down. In, in reality, you gotta you gotta keep mind. You're not gonna let them down. You know, if you sell that part of your practice or move that part of your practice or price those folks out, they're gonna be fine. They're gonna move on to the next person, and they'll they'll be treated extremely well with that next person. So it, it, it's one of those things that we feel that hey, you know, it, it, it's it's just it's an internal issue that we've got to get rid of. And so by getting rid of those folks is going to open more opportunity for you to expand into a service like a virtual CFO or a CAS 1.0 practice or anything like that, which is where people are going, you know, going now, you know, I, I truly think within 10 years, tax returns gonna be automatic. It, it'll be probably earlier than that. Accounting will probably be automatic, you know, where it's done by AI and, and, and bots and all that kind of stuff. It's the advisory service that people really want. And that's going to have to still that they'll still they'll still stay with us. And with the tools that we have, it'll make it a lot easier for us to provide that level of service. And so I, I think it's I think now is a great time to go now, get rid of the old clients and really start moving towards uh, providing advisory. And, and again, that's what, what the clients want anyways. So getting over the idea that disengaging your clients is akin to throwing them to the werewolves. And that they're somehow not going to survive. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, it's it's not, and and it's kind of funny because that the same the same issue happens when we when we bring on clients, CFO clients, and we have to transition transition off to another CFO. The CFO always thinks that the client will leave. Oh, they they they're going to leave if I'm not their CFO. In reality, the next CFO comes in, builds trust, and it provides the same level of service. And it's kind of it's kind of funny. We have to kind of laugh at ourselves after a while that uh, we, we do believe that way. Yes, yes, it is. It's a really, I mean, honestly, among across all my clients, it's one of the more common obstacles in CPAs preventing their own businesses from moving forward is the belief that for whatever reason, they need to hang on to their legacy clients. And I'm not for being a jerk in business. I'm about being a good, responsible, respectful business owner, but. Geraldine, I would also say that the other obstacle is their location. You know, for us, when we went remote, uh, we had an office that supported 18 people, 20 people probably tops. And so we started making decisions based on what we had available for office space, you know, and, and decisions were, hey, do we want to hire, you know, do we want to build another building? So our building kind of helped, you know, basically kept us hostage for growth. And, and, and when we decided to go remote before we did that, it was like, well, the, everybody didn't want to do it. And so I thought, well, hey, and I don't want to lose my team. So let's build on to the building and make it really nice. And so we build it for 30 folks. Thinking, wow, within ten years we're gonna we'll be we'll be at thirty people. That'd be great. Um, and then we all went remote, which was the best blessing ever. Because what happened was, within two years, we were over thirty people. <laughs> it would have been like held hostage again. 
So not only help hostage the first time at decisions, but we'd have done it again two years later. And so don't let your buildings hold you hostage. You know, take advantage of the uh, remote atmosphere, whether it's hybrid or fully remote. You know, take take full advantage of it. This is the perfect time for it. It's the perfect time for it, and clients are totally fine with it. Oh yeah, oh yeah. All right, if you could if you could do it over, is there anything that you might do differently apart from go into website design? You know, Noah, I, I, I don't have any regrets on anything I've ever done because it's always kind of helped me get to that next step. And so I would say absolutely not. E- even though the first, you know, five years was, was really tough on our mar- my marriage, it was tough because money was very scarce. We couldn't figure profitability out. We were trying something completely new. I bootstrapped it. We didn't have a big cushion savings. I didn't come from a lot of money where I could, you know, ask my mom and dad for help or anything like that. So it was, it was and the banks wouldn't lend money either because we, we didn't have a proven track record. And so, but, but you know, really, that really kind of helped me advise clients, you know, being in this similar situation. It helped me it helped me be better. And so even the tough parts like that, I would definitely not do that again because I really truly don't think if I'd had it easy back then, I'd be in the position I'm at today. So I'd say, no, definitely not. You know, you know, niching at the right time was perfect. Going remote was a great opportunity. Take risks. I, you know, I always take risks. And I've never never frowned upon the risks I've taken, even when I failed taking risks. You know, it's, it's just one of those things that you've got to take risks. You've got to be calculated and uh, learn from them versus looking at it as a failure. I love it. Niche, go remote, and take risks. Jody Grundon, it's been a pleasure having you. Thank you so much for coming back on the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast. Yeah, thanks, Geraldine. Hey, are you overworked? Do you desperately want to be somewhere different a year from now, but you feel overwhelmed with what to change? The next time you find yourself wondering what to do, wondering how to restructure your packages or how to reprice clients, head over to GeraldineCarter.com to check out ways I help CPAs just like you create a more sane accounting firm. Click the big red coaching options button at GeraldineCarter.com for more. Have an amazing week. Hi again. Would you rather spend your weekends outside playing or at your desk? In Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind, we put an end to overworking while maintaining revenue. Registration is open now, but it won't be for long. Go to GeraldineCarter.com now to enroll today.